Hey everybody, welcome to Investing in Cannabis. I'm your host, Brandon David. Really excited for this week's episode. We have John of Trees live from his office in Oakland. He was nice enough to have us over there. Trees is a rapidly growing POS and back office software for cultivators and retailers alike. They started just as POS. We get deep into his journey, his first time raising funding. They've raised $15 million now. We talk about product development and building versus buying, his acquisitions of other companies. It's a really exciting episode. If you're a founder starting a company or growing a company, you're going to want to listen. Speaking of being a founder of starting or growing your company, if you need some help, please reach out. Balanced Advisor is a new company that we've set up. We help you with CFO level services, help you raise money. We do some video content marketing. You've seen our work on YouTube. If you need some help, please let us know, balancedadvisor.com. Okay, guys, let's get into the episode with John of Trees. You're going to learn a ton. I learned a ton. Tune in, listen up, get acquainted. John, thanks so much for joining us. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Brandon. Thank you for having me. It's an honor. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I understand you're a longtime listener, so always cool to interview uh, founders like that. Listen to every episode. This is 115th, I think you said, but uh, it's a great honor to be here. Wow, that's so cool. Warms me inside. Warm fuzzies. Um, Okay, let's get started on an easy one. What's Trees? So Trees is an enterprise C-to-sale software platform. It consists of point of sale, inventory management, online ordering, analytics, and also other back office business-oriented tools and modules built for dispensary owners, built for cultivators, and built for manufacturers. Got it. So a lot lot going on there, a lot of things you just said, and pretty competitive space, right? I mean, on the POS side, you got GreenBits and Flowhub and all these other people. Kind of how do you differentiate? I mean, when you came into this market, why did you need something new, I guess? Yeah, so let's let's talk about the market. I think the industry changed a lot since we started, since when our first early on incumbent competitors started. So you think about MJ Freeway, Biotrack, about eight, nine years ago is when they really pioneered this market, this industry, so props to them. Um, They largely digitized a pen and paper process. Uh, But the landscape changed around four years ago, right? And that's when we started. Four years ago, you saw uh, an industry that is largely in California, at least Northern California, where we're based, uh, dealing with a high volume problem, right? It's more than just compliance. It's more than just taking a pen and paper process and inputting that on a screen somewhere. You're dealing with operators that are very limited by their footprint. A lot of places, you know, even today, real estate's hard to come by to operate at the dispensary. Um, and in our operators four years ago were dealing with small footprint, but a, a large volume of seeing two, three, four hundred customers a day. And sometimes they're bottlenecked by the system. They're bottlenecked by the system uh, to where if they had something more efficient, they could conduct maybe twice as much revenue or three times as much revenue. And that's a genesis of where we started and I think where we differentiate ourselves. The easy answer is always the depth of product and the depth of team. But early on, that's very true about the team, 
uh, portion of this. Um, I met my co-founder, Sharif. He owns a very busy dispensary at that time. And at that time, he struggled. He struggled hard dealing with effectively 500 square foot of space and up to 400 customers on a busy weekend. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah. And he was at Garden of Eden. Garden of Eden. Correct. Okay. And this is, how, what year are we talking about? We're talking about when I met him, 2015. In 2015. And you were in the restaurant industry at the time, right? Can you tell us a little bit about sort of the crossover there? And yeah. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. So my personal background, I. Uh, I have a passion for SMB, for solving uh, and creating solutions for the SMB markets. Uh, when I was 12, 13 years old, I was working in my father's computer store uh, back then, selling, servicing, and just creating solutions for like the lawyer offices, the dentist offices. They're, they're going, whoa, there's email, whoa, there's networking, there's file sharing that's changing our lives. So I grew up in that type of um, in that type of environment, and it translated well into the first job I got out of college, which is, hey, let's join a uh, consulting firm that essentially yeah, created solutions, ERP solutions, business intelligence solutions, um, and a knack for doing that, and did that well for eight years, but made a pivot once I understood consulting is a little bit too bureaucratic, it's a little bit too, of a t too much of a time waste. Uh, and I pivoted to creating a point-of-sales solution um, for restaurants. Uh, and restaurants is a super fragmented industry for point-of-sale. Um, but I saw a need to be able to identify customers, their habits, uh, and really streamline some of the flows that's happening in the restaurants industry. And early on, uh, we were somewhat successful with our uh, early adapters. Um, that connected me with Sharif. Um, and when I met Sharif, it, it was just a, a perfect mind mesh pairing, a pairing where he had the over a decade of cannabis experience running various businesses in this particular one, Garden of Eden, a dispensary. Um, that's, how I, that's how I met him and, and I quickly pivoted because when I met him, here, here was this hole in the wall uh, and a line out the door. And I don't know, didn't know what I was getting into, but I'm just a super curious person. When I was sitting for him, he made me wait an hour. I was sitting, I was sitting there, and uh, and in goes these customers having to put out their driver's license, having to put their you know their recommendation, uh, and that was a first step, first step as a gatekeeper almost. Um, and in every other point of sale industry, you struggle hard identifying the customers, right? So you let alone trying to know their habits, you can't even figure out who they are. Mm -hmm. But here I am in a in a seemingly retail joint. Uh, Everyone has to be identified. Everyone has to go then be funneled into the sales space, uh, and, the, and the interaction was was somewhat fast. Uh, and he Sharif needed a, a retail solution, a point of sale solution. He tried all of them at the time, couldn't find anything worthwhile. He was forced to operate with a lot of lean processes to get to the point he was. Uh, and I just said, that makes sense. That makes sense. I had experience on the, in the point of sale. Um, I couldn't take what I created. For restaurants for this industry because short of the high volume problem, the compliance aspect, the workflow aspect, it's entirely different than what the restaurant industry needs. But the point of sale genesis is the same, they were similar. Uh, and so that was that marriage about three and a half years ago. Got it. Yeah. Very, very cool, authentic story. Yeah. Uh, speaking of competitive, the restaurant POS space pretty <laughs> so fragmented, yeah, right? Yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. With Aloha dominating quite a bit of it, right? Aloha I mean, dominates one day, yeah. and then, and you know, NCR and Radian, and then they all get uh, consolidated up, and then it gets split out. 
don't know what the landscape is anymore, but Got it's it. always fragmented. Got it. Okay, so let's talk about the original product, which is the POS, yeah. which you call cell trees, right? That, cell that, trees, that, we call that. Got yeah. it, okay. So sort of break that down just a little bit in terms of features of like what else is out there, right? There's there's a lot of other players, but how do you sort of differentiate? Yeah, so um, it was started out as just a point of sale. Uh, so the point of sale, I think of it as a, a simple cashier system, a system of records, right? To print it, uh, pop the drawer, nothing too much to it, then other than conducting a recording sales. So that's great, but the evolution of becoming more of a retail management platform over just a point of sale is just a need as you observe a busy dispensary. You needed an intake system, especially in California, may not resonate with some of the other listeners across the many states. But in California, you need to intake the customer, you need to recognize who they are, you need to make sure that they are abiding by some of the rules, such as uh, age and purchase limit, um, and so on and so forth. So you needed that, and we built that. Uh, we built that. Um, you needed online ordering of sorts, right? Because when you get busy, uh, and, and some of these dispensaries go from doing 400 tickets a day to now over 1,000 tickets a wow. day, right? That's incredible growth, organic growth. Uh, and you needed a, a point-of-sale system that also offered an online ordering system. And here's why, a very simple example. If you have only one, one quantity left for a particular item, and let's say your customer base is viewing your online website, and there's a hundred of them viewing that last item, and let's say 10 of them made that purchase. Well, if you didn't have an online ordering system that is directly connected with the point of sale within our own module, then some chaos can occur, right? If you are an integrated point of sale system with an online ordering system, if there is just a minute of lag and all 10 orders came through, that cascading effect of calling the nine unlucky ones and apologizing or then making a two-hour drive sometimes to our dispensary uh, dispensaries uh, will get a very negative customer customer experience. Um, so we saw that early on uh, at the need to, to build the online ordering module. Uh, one part that sets us apart is understanding and having some of the foresight of as this industry grows, it's going to go more digital uh, as with any other industry. Uh, and you need to create the same customer experience as they do when they come into the brick and mortar, right? Um, and we don't want to build everything. There's, there's there, Every company will fail, especially startups, if they don't have a core focus. Uh, if we we built out the accounting side of things, if we built out the loyalty part of the thing, uh, the point of sale system, then we will also go down that uh, rabbit hole of doing too much. But anything that uh, is a value add, uh, an effic efficiency gainer for the retail side of things is what we set out to build. So that's one side uh, that differentiates us. Another side is the analytics, right, the data collection, but we need a way and a tool to, to really present the data collected back to our operators, to our dispensary owners. Um, I, me having a uh, pedigree in designing ERP systems, in designing business intelligence systems, and then deploying them to the Fortune 500 companies when I was in my consulting days, uh, resonated in how the mass amount of data that we're collecting is only meaningful if our operators could do something with it. And they need something simple. Like if you talk about an industry focused predominantly right now on an SMB, as SMBs, they don't need too many widgets and charts and numbers and they all of that. They don't have time for it. They don't have time for it. They don't know how the team sometimes to understand that. You need some one button actionable uh, presentation of that data. And so we're trying to use that data to not only create some fancy data 
dashboards and charts and all that, that's great. But how do we incorporate back into the flow as customers step through every you know pillar of the of the brick and mortar experience, including the online experience as well? So analytics is one side presentation, but most importantly, the workflow driven from from the data collected. You brought up some of the features that you don't want to build, the sort of accounting or HR stuff, or uh, but that brings up the question of integrations and how you look at those. I mean, do you play nice with a Baker or a Spring Big or all these other sort of software companies? Like, how easily does, do those work together? Yeah, we play uh, well with a lot of let's call them frenemies, right? <laughs> um, and I jokingly tell them uh, that as well. But look, the, we're, we're integrated with Baker. We're integrated. With with SpringBig, um, they bring a lot of value to our customer base. Um, we want to transition one day from a product company of which we are today to more of a platform company. Um, that's how growth will uh, be driven in the future, right? Because being a platform means we want to be the integration hub for all the next wave of Canatech startups, especially startups. I remember early on, when, uh, especially back in the restaurant days, when I had a great idea and I didn't want to build my own point of sale, none of the point of sale companies would uh, listen, yeah. will extend an arm, and we don't want to be that. Uh, I want to be a platform where if you're, if you're offering even uh, services, accounting services, let alone a software platform, there is an integration component that makes your lives easier because now the changing landscape is everyone's going public seemingly one way or another. They're getting through audits, they're going through some SOC compliance, this and that, uh, and they require a very clean set of books um, and some of that requires uh, significant services from accountants and whatnot and there's an integration component to their systems that they work well with that's just one example right another example we brought up spring big uh, and uh, Baker you know we don't do text messaging we don't even know the the nuances it takes to blast all these uh, uh, all these SMSs um, but we want to help them we want to help them so that their customers are not sending a spray and pray type of marketing campaign. I want to figure out which are the customers of a certain gender that hasn't came back in the last three days, but because we didn't have a brand that was tailored to them, now that that's back in stock, let them know and let them know right away. Yeah. Right. So those those are some just simple examples of how we're going to transition one day into a good platform company. Um, are there opportunities in Canatech that maybe you've decided not to build, but you think somebody else should or doesn't exist yet today? Yeah, uh, somebody should definitely figure out the payment side. <laughs> right. Uh, as point of sale companies in other verticals, you monetize um, by integrating a payments component both online uh, and through the brick and mortar. Um, we're finding some solutions on debit processing side and maybe some through the ACH rails that seems promising and we're working with some companies but we don't want to build that there there, there is a uh, component there um, from legality from KYC from AML that we're not experts in and we'll never be there's my philosophy right like we need to build things internally uh, modules and tools that's core to what we're offering because we'll never ever find another or rather, let me rephrase, we will never be as good or fast 
as and or as passionate as another set of founders focusing on a very particular niche module tool, whatever you want to call it. Uh, and I'd rather work with them uh, than try to go displace them because I'll never succeed in doing that. Mm -hmm. yeah. mm -hmm. Got it. So then uh, you said you don't want to build some of the payment stuff, but tell me a little bit about Trees Pay or Pay Trees. Which one? Trees Pay. Trees Pay. Trees Got pay. It. Sell trees, but Trees Pay. Got Sell it. trees, grow trees, make trees, Trees Pay. Um, so Trees Pay is more of an integration, right? Because if you think about the payments industry, it's comprised of predominantly ISOs, independent sales organizations. They rely on point of sale providers largely to resell their product and package it together. Uh, if you go out in the industry today and you get Revel, Revel comes with some kind of world, world pay or thesis integration. Those are the payment processors. Mm -hmm. And so that's what we're targeting with Trees Pay. We want to offer some debit processing that we know is legitimate uh, and that has a good ISO and a good payment processor backing behind it. Uh, and then we as a point of sale ge you know, generally just resell as a, hey, would you like to process debit? It looks like you are doing a large volume in cash, uh, but you're going to do even more revenue and faster transactions if you had some kind of digital processing vis-a-vis -vis trees pay uh, and debit processing. Would you like that? Or maybe as a new prospect, a new client uh, during the implementation process, it looks like that's a need for you. How could we get that integrated uh, and deployed as part of the, the solution? And how did you get those partners on board? On, on your website, it says that these financial institutions are transparent and know what you do and are comfortable with that. How do you make those relationships? I mean, it's, that's been really hard for a lot of people. It's really hard. Um, the approach is uh, let the winners find us. Because two, three years ago, it was, my gosh, could I please integrate with you? Uh, could I find and curate some of the value-add um, integration partners that's going to create a better solution overall for our operators? And again, nobody really replied. Nobody had, has the time of day. It's not um, fault on theirs. If I'm dealing with a startup with a team of five or 10, uh, they're all heads down in the V2 or the releases or the fires that's happening every single day. It's hard to, to kind of make that connection. Um, and this is two or three years ago. We're still in a very nascent sp uh, space when it comes to Canatech. We're talking about maybe 10 years in existence altogether. Uh, That'd be at the high end. At I the think. high end, yeah. At the high end. Yeah. We're talking about real early on G's, the, yeah. the incumbents, right? Um, but for now, it, it's about uh, letting the winners find us. We're, we almost have, uh, we're now on the other side of the, the equation where we no longer have enough time to find all the integration partners that's knocking on our doors to integrate. And where we want to take it once we become a platform company is let's create a set of uh, a developer hub, let's call it, where people can self-onboard uh, with documentation and with the product and support line to cater to integrations. because. APIs and integrations is a product line in itself. It requires an enormous amount of support and developers and engineers to properly um, implement uh, and, and create that solution together. And it has to be authentic and sort of holistic. I mean, companies that tack on an API at the end and try to sell it like often doesn't work that well. It doesn't, yeah, anyway. So cool that you thought about that from the beginning. So the third portion of the platform is the newest, right? The cultivation side, yeah. grow trees. How do you decide, okay, we're gonna take on that big chunk as well? So that is the evolution of the market, right? I think there's now a changing persona uh, in, in type of customers we're dealing with. Three, four, five years ago, you're dealing with really one persona, which is uh, an SMB, 
All right. Now I'd argue that we're dealing with three type of personas. You have the mom and pop type of SMBs. You have the high volume SMBs, and then you have what's called MSOs, or multi-state operators, well-funded, uh, going seemingly a, a new dispensary or a new grow uh, state to state every month. Mm-hmm. Um, and they require more vertical solutions, right? So to go into a, an MSO type of uh, type of prospecting a demo or a call, they're looking for a full-on vertical solution, uh, not just a point of sale. A point of sale is great, but that's only maybe a third of their aspirations. Um, and in a connected ecosystem, we needed to become a seed to sale company to make Make sure that we can cater to the changing uh, landscape. Uh, and back to what I said earlier, if we took the time to build it, it would be cheaper, uh, but it would take too long uh, of a time to build out along with all the pitfalls that comes with developing a brand new product. It took us four years to get to the point we are today on just the retail side. Uh, and so we were lucky enough to find someone kind of like us uh, that we acquired um, this company called Mr. Kraken. Which is an incredible name. It's a great, great name. <laughs> um, but uh, they're based uh, in Washington, state of Washington. Uh, they had uh, about 150 customers in Washington with just a team of five. That really resonated with me, right? So only a small team of five catering to uh, a great ratio of customers. So they must have built something great, yeah. uh, right? And uh, in in uh, acquiring that team, um, you know, so some, some of the things I was looking for is, are they junkies? And then by junkies, I mean, are they just purely passionate founders focused on the problem, focused on the vision, and focused on their customers? Uh, and I took the time to call maybe 60, 70 of their customer base, having wow. one-on-one conversations and nothing but great things to say about that team. Um, and so we knew we found somebody that is along for the ride, that believes in the vision, that had a software, that had a natural pairing with what we were trying to go for, that is a C-to-sale, full-on C-to-sale solution. Uh, and that had also revenue and clients that's uh, creative to our shareholders. So that made a, it a no-brainer choice to do some of our A-round money to acquire the company. Uh, and here we are today having a product called Grow Trees that we can offer to the to the full um, vertical operators. This is kind of a classic build versus buy uh, analysis here. How long do you estimate it would have taken to get to that point that they were? Well, say I estimated 18 months, the reality is probably somewhere around 36 months, uh-huh. right? Um, and say I estimated two, three million may end up taking six, seven million. The estimates are always wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I think pace and speed is everything that matters and that should matter to a startup. Uh, startup exists in the stage we are, uh, a lot of it due to luck and a lot of it due to execution. Uh, and if we did both well, then the rest of it is within our own control. And that speed. Uh, and so an 18 to 36 month effort to build out our own manufacturing and cultivation solution will put us out of contention for the changing landscape. Give us a sense of the scale of the platform today. How many dispensaries, how many of them use which of the products, however you want to do it. You know, just Yeah, so, so all in all now, uh, through the acquisition, we're at just about over 300 customers across uh, the C2Sale platform. Um, that within just the retailers, about 25, 30% of them are using the online ordering module. And that's increasingly, uh, there's an increasing demand to turn that on. Some of our largest operators are all averaging over a thousand tickets a day, have turned it on. And they just see it, they see the value uh, in making that connection within sub seconds to communicate 
back to the inventory management system, to back to the point of sale system, uh, and it's a, it's going to be something that will just become out of the box, right? Well, when you get the point of sale out of the box, you will get the online ordering. It matters that much. It's going to matter a lot more, especially in California, where seemingly you get to deliver to the whole state now, right? Yeah. Um, so that is a natural extension for you to be competitive as just a brick and mortar operator. Yeah. yeah. Give us a little bit of a prediction on how you think delivery goes. I mean, it's very popular in California. There's other states don't allow it at all. Do you think that that's going to become more important than the retail side at some point or the brick and mortar side? It's a, it's a long ways to go. Um, some delivery operators will find success in densely populated areas, right? Uh, SoCal uh, operators will find it more difficult. Um, it takes from des destination A to destination B 45 minutes at minimum in the SoCal region. Uh, let's call it LA proper. Um, and so that's going to be very difficult from an infrastructure standpoint to not only compete with the black market still, that's that's still dominant down there, uh, but the infrastructure to withstand um, the transition into a more digital era, right, uh, for, for cannabis ordering online. And uh, it's going to be tough. Uh, it's going to take some time. But where I see the natural progression towards it is people offering as a brick and mortar online ordering first as pickup, maybe having some kind of payment solutions online as well to guarantee some of these deliveries to come. And then starting uh, slowly in their own locale, right? If you are a San Jose dispensary operator, you should think about delivering to the San Jose area first. And then understand, was it worth my time? Was it, was it providing the right margins? And if I just pumped more dollars into this equation, could I expand uh, to then, let's call it the South Bay, then to the Northern California area, then to the entire state? Because if your whole thesis is I'm going to uh, deliver to the entire state from the get-go, well, you need to burn as much money as some of your larger competitors have already burned to not get to even anywhere near the adoption they were looking for. I think there's some uh, theories out there, and there's a couple startups that have tried it, some that are still trying it, this sort of scheduled versus on-demand uh, delivery of cannabis, right? Do you think that can work? Do we need on-demand cannabis? Will people plan enough in advance? Certainly a lot of savings on both sides from doing that. Sure, I think there will be a niche for it. I mean, you're seeing more scheduled social buying that's happening online in uh, other verticals. So having something scheduled and having something, more importantly, recurring, is a, a huge benefit on both sides. Um, so yes, I think there will be a niche carved out for that. I think on-demand will still drive a lot more of the pie uh, over time, um, but there will be, again, a niche for the, the scheduled buying. You brought up the, the money raise, the, the fundraising. It's your first time raising money, right, with this company? First time raising. Got it. So I got to know how that experience went. The first time was million dollar seed, right? Million and change, something like that. And then the Series A was 11, which is a big number, pretty big number. Pretty big number. Tell us about your experience sort of raising money. I sucked. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, like um, so many door knocking in this journey early on, uh, we didn't have a sales team to get to the A round. We really had me going door knocking. Uh, on dispensary owners uh, to give us a shot, right? Um, and there was no different uh, when uh, raising money. It's first finding friends and family that believed in the vision. Um, we had some early on seed money when we decided to 
to commercialize the products. You know, it started as, hey, we have a great product for one dispensary owner and it worked fantastic, but to commercialize it is an entirely different story. So luckily we did pull or bootstrap enough money to get the company started. Um, but with, uh, quickly within the first year, we understood, man, we needed a lot more money to, to continue this journey. Uh, and it was tough. It was asking left and right uh, with a lot of investors dangling carrots, wanting to see traction, wanting to see adoption. And that's always a chicken and egg equation. We have two shops. We have three shops. No, you need to get 30. All right, we're at 30 now. No, you need to get more, right? Never enough. Never enough. Yeah. Um, but keeping a dynamic, uh, asking for $50,000 checks, $100,000 checks, spending time with them. What I learned in this journey uh, largely is that this is a, in business, it is mostly a relationship type of journey, right? People are putting their money because they believe you as a person, they believe in then your team, then they're seeing the product, then they're seeing the traction, uh, and that's how you get to a larger check. I think most people would think about it the opposite, right? They would think that it's, uh, oh, it's this amazing opportunity, let me look at the software, whatever, but you're totally right. It's all about people first, which, yeah, is a good lesson to learn early. So the lead that you eventually found is out of Pennsylvania, mm -hmm. correct? How did you come to that? And it seems like kind of an unlikely place. You did your homework. Um, that uh, journey with Intrinsic, uh, who is our Series A lead investor, uh, took about 18 months. Um, I met, through, so here's a story. Uh, the first NCIA conference I attended, I was able to meet somebody who needed a ride uh, down to the South Bay, uh, and I was, uh, you know, I was friendly enough to give him a ride. We had a good chit chat. He came from what a guy. Uh, he came from Pennsylvania. I wanted to understand more about the industry, especially in the East Coast. Um, he wasn't part of Intrinsic, but uh, he was interested enough to participate in our early on angel round. Uh, he didn't end up participating, but again, with the relationship established, as I was going back and asking for some referrals, some help, some advice, he was able to connect me with some early on principles from the Intrinsic team who didn't create or have created Intrinsic yet at that time. They were thinking about creating a new fund targeted and oriented just for the cannabis space. Uh, uh, and within the first year, it took them that long just to get started, right? They knew who we were, they were interested, they had a thesis that cannabis SaaS, cannabis tech was going to be a good driver uh, of their, their fund. Uh, and about a year later in that relationship, they finally said, oh, hey, we're, we're getting some money in, we're, we're closing some of our round, uh, where are you at? Uh, and we said, we're still looking, we're still looking. Uh, and uh, it took another six months from, hey, let's go through the negotiations, let's go through the traction, let's go call your customer list, so on and so forth, before finally landing. The six months of due diligence. Six months of due diligence, and not, not pure due diligence, um, not having signed a term sheet to getting funded, but, you know, establishing a fund for on their side, on their parts, uh, and then going through, again, uh, almost a, uh, a journey all over again. Yeah. yeah. There's a lot of aspiring entrepreneurs to listen to this show. Uh, talk about the perseverance there. I mean, an 18-month oh, yeah. raise is a long time. And, and you know, this is a relatively new industry. It's harder than maybe in some other industries, but there had to be some low points there. Yeah, there's low points. There was low points of, uh, and maybe some of our employees that listen to this now, uh, of knowing that you know, it was hard to make page, uh, yeah. payroll, right? And we didn't ever miss a payroll, but it was tough. It, it, it's a grit and a grind. And you know, when I said earlier about the crack 
second team being junkies, uh, that's what it takes to be a founder. That's what it takes to, to be a, in the management team. It, you, you have to crave the grit and the grind, right? Um, you know, these are interesting questions when investors or, or prospective investors ask, you know, what are you like in a normal day? You know, I almost think of it as a trick question because the, the, the obvious answer is, a normal day, like I'm just thinking about everything that needs to be done. There's never enough fires to put out, right? There's never enough things to, to accomplish. Uh, and I'm always thinking about that, but as I reflect, it, I just crave it. I, I crave the problem solving um, mentality uh, and, and the perseverance is just part of, you know, what it takes to, to be a founder uh, and not just to be a founder. I think it is what it takes to be in this industry within the Canatech space. Mm -hmm. If you want it to be easy, this is the wrong this industry. The wrong industry. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, you talked about sort of your day a little bit. Let, let's get into that a bit. Like when you wake up in the morning, what's the KPI? What's the metric that drives you or the couple that do? Yeah, before I have the luxury to get to the metrics, uh, when I wake up in the morning, I check our Slack channels and make sure we have no fires going on. We have all answers uh, put out. Um, and then I start you know, doing some reading uh, in, in the beginning. Um, I think metrics come later at night once I've gone through my to-do list. Uh, I crave setting a to-do list every single morning. If I'm able to accomplish all of them, I get the luxury of then crafting uh, and updating some of our metrics. Uh, we have a management meeting uh, once a week. Uh, I do expect my management team to, to present some of the metrics. Uh -huh. um, but, but the overarching theme for a SaaS company like us is, hey, look, what is our recurring revenue? When is that, what is that trending to? How are we hitting against our forecast? Uh, what is our customer churn? Is that trending well? Um, when I look at the, the GMV that's being transacted on, on our on our system, uh, I actually uh, wanted to start looking at two more metrics that we're not tracking yet, which is you know dollars transacted per square foot, mm -hmm. uh, along with the labor efficiency. And we're not going to get to some of those metrics until we integrate with some HR and payroll platforms. But I just want to know: is our system uh, driving efficiency, reducing unnecessary labor, uh, and really helping our clients grow? Uh, and now we're going to tackle a new set of a new set of metrics for the growers and the manufacturers, and that's an amazing feat. And then that translates into some true vertical operators and how our system changes the changes their world. So a big part of that success is the team that you've built. Tell us a little bit how big's the team? We're in your beautiful office in Oakland right now, but tell, tell us a bit about the team and, and building the that. Alarms out. going in the background. It's authentic. It's authentic. Yeah. Um, the the team is uh, about forty five of us now. It's growing. Quickly, I, I believe you know before uh, we raise, we're still hovering around the 30 range. But that's because we didn't have a sales and marketing team. Now we have a resemblance of one, and we'll grow that into maturity. Um, you know, that's that's it's it's an interesting uh, way to look at our, our uh, employee count because early on pre-Series A, it's very much a family culture as it should be, right? You're, as a CEO, you find uh, a group of individuals that believe in you and believe uh, it is necessary to serve the company in its journey and its vision. And now I've started to understand that once we get to that magical 50 employee marker near it, it's my job to serve them. Uh, and because they're the ones that are, you know, that is going to make the most impact. And I've been very lucky in this journey to find some individuals uh, that you could only really 
hope for, right? Like uh, it's it's it, every one of our employees contributed to our A round, no doubt. Um, and, and we have very wide ranging um, set of employees. Uh, not all of them are cannabis uh, consumers. However, every single one is uh, a firm believer uh, in freedom. Uh, they're freedom fighters and that's what they believe and that's why they're in this journey. Not just because of the, the lure to be in, a, in an ever growing industry. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so all walks of life, you know, Sharif having the over decade of background in cannabis is how we started. But then we found people that has been um, in the start, startup space in the Bay Area for over a decade uh, with some C-levels that recently joined us coming from ERP backgrounds or similar backgrounds to build scalable systems. Uh, one of our product uh, managers came from the healthcare.gov project, so having a full-on understanding uh, in scalability and security at the government level and that at that scale, that's going to help us transition into the platform company that I'm talking about. Got it. Uh, so culture is one of these concepts that gets thrown around a lot yeah. in Silicon Valley. But when you get to 40, approaching 50 employees, how do you maintain that? I mean, what does that exactly mean to you? What kind of culture do you want to build? And, and how do you make sure you bring in people that see it the same way? Yeah, uh, it's a struggle, right? It's um, So I talked about being a family culture. Now it's transitioning into a mission culture. Um, and everyone has to be bought on to, to that mission. I think it's no longer, uh, while I have an open door policy, it's no longer possible to spend the amount of time that is spent with every employee early on. So now it's tasking uh, our management team that understands fully the vision and to be able to convey that day-to-day, task-to-task um, every single minute to our new joiners and employees. And part of the reason I'm so excited to, to be on this podcast is we want to find more talent. You know, and it's hard to just have a post on AngelList, have a post on LinkedIn and be able to sort out uh, all the resumes that come in. But you know, the listeners of this podcast, they're entrepreneurs, they're aspiring entrepreneurs. Uh, they have all various um, talents to provide and we'll love to find more. Well, here's your chance. What do you want to hire? What, what are you looking All across for? the board. We need sales. Uh, we need marketing. You know, we need some product managers. Uh, we need some good engineers across QA, across uh, developers, across DevOps. Uh, you name it. And you're looking for cannabis experience or just good people? Just good people. Got it. If people are listening to this podcast and they have some affiliation. Right. Then they're, they're at least some, uh, halfway there. That's right. Um, cool. Well, this has been a really awesome interview. I want to switch just a little bit and talk a little bit about you. I love to connect sort of the business and and the personal side. How has your relationship with cannabis evolved through this process? So let me tell you this. I am uh, Chinese. Uh, I grew up in Shanghai, uh, and I came to the States when I was seven. Um, and so I predominantly, uh, my family are very conservative when it comes to um, cannabis. So when I first began this journey, my mom freaked out. Mm-hmm. Mom freaked out and said, you had a good job, you know? And uh, I guess you wanted to become an entrepreneur in the restaurant space. Are you now transitioning into a drug dealer? Like, what are you doing, <laughs> right? I'm like, no, mom, I'm facilitating the drug dealer. I'm not, I'm not a drug dealer myself. Uh, but it was a, it was a hush-hush uh, from the 
perspective of my mother, especially. You know, my father, having opened up a computer store and all that, he had the entrepreneur genes that got passed on to me, but my mom uh, wouldn't uh, disclose any of this to our relatives or extended family uh, for a good two years. Wow. For a good two years uh, until, and this is how the relationship has changed, I think largely you're, you're seeing it in the industry too, um, which is my mom suffers from insomnia. Um, she takes Ambien every single night to, to attempt to fall asleep. She has a lot of ailments when it comes to her back, when it comes to her wrists. Uh, and in the last year, I have gotten her to try a variety of cannabis products, a lot of it CBD-based, uh, that she has not only tried, but that she has now conveyed to our uh, extended family to try as well. Uh, and so that, I think that is an incredible change um, that I've seen in my own family, but largely, you know, the the larger landscape is changing as well. Uh, I'm so very proud that, that my mom no longer um, refers to me as the drug dealer's son, uh, more so as the entrepreneur that I am. Drug facilitator. 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 Systems facilitator. Are they still in Shanghai or are they? They she live actually lives in the Bay. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Got it. Well, then she's been open to all these, uh, these new things, That's awesome right. things. Um, what do you read? How do you stay informed? So I read um, a blog called Reforming Retail. Um, there's, there's this bright individual uh, that talks a lot about the general point of sale space because the convergence is going to happen you know, at some point in time. So I want to understand all the pitfalls and all the failures and success in the general retail management space. And these are companies that are worth hundreds if not billions of dollars. Um, so I aspire to become one uh, of them one day. Uh, so I read that blog. Um, I read uh, the the typical cannabis-oriented uh, sites online, MJ Biz, uh, Cannabis Ventures, and then more so the kind of the aggregator news sites. You know, if you go on Google News and you tag the right keywords surrounding cannabis, tech, and whatnot, um, I read that along with the more general tech. Uh, oriented sites like TechCrunch and all that, and then I read Reddit. Uh, Reddit is uh, there's, there are a couple of, uh, of uh, subreddits around the cannabis space that's very interesting. So all around. Got it. I find that there's this is something Eric and I are talking about. There's a lot of transactional news in the cannabis industry, right? There's a raising here, the, this headline. There's not that much editorial. I find. Do you do you read anything that's sort of like opinionated based on the cannabis industry? I would love to. If you make some recommendations, I think there's largely um, a void of thought leadership. Yeah. Too much of money raises. Too too much of you know what you uh, call as transactional news. And I fully agree with that. Which it numbs people, right? At some points, like just another number and another name. What does that mean to us? What does that mean for the industry? No one really knows. And that's something we need to get better at as a company. We have a, um, a great deal of data. We have a great deal of thought. We have a great set of customers. Uh, and if we're able to dedicate a team and a marketing team or a communications team to marry that together and put a series of articles to educate the space, uh, it's, it's something that we should do as a company as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, it's very cool. We're working on it. I think we're going to do like a news roundtable kind of sure. thing maybe. And in the Bay Area. Add, add some color to this news. I mean, nothing against any of the outlets. I stay informed. I read them too, but there's like, you need a little more infotainment, you know, that, that kind of deal. That's right. Um, this has been awesome. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank I you for right. being a fan and listening for the last few years. Really, really cool. And congratulations on what you built. Thank you, sir.